Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Bridge Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. Welcome to the Bridge. Hey guys, excited to uh, be here with you in this format, and I'm excited to continue our series in First Peter, Longing for Home. My heart is that as we continue in the series, that we would be like Peter, who is always thinking about heaven, and therefore he's always teaching and talking about heaven, and in turn, he is living out his life here on earth, preparing in, getting ready for heaven. When I was a kid growing up, me and my friends, we used to play this game called Mercy, and that's where you stand against an opponent, and you interlock your fingers with them, you clench your hands, and then you attempt to bend the opponent's wrist back, ultimately until it snaps or your fingers break, or until the person cries out, mercy, stop, I can't take it any longer. And and, at that point, the game would be over, and if you were the one who cried out mercy, you would lose. It says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, that it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. You and I, because of the work that Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross, we can cry out to God and say, mercy. We say, God, I am going to now stop trying to fight this opponent or endure this trial on my own any longer. And then when we cry out to God and say, mercy, he then steps in to whatever is breaking us and provides us his power to overcome. And mercy, when Peter is explaining this, this type of mercy in the original language is defined as a readiness to help those in trouble. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 16 that let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, God is telling us, and we ought to cry out to him, God, I need you. He wants us to do that. He wants us like tag team champions in wrestling to tag him in, and then he gets into the ring with us. In verse 17, we see that we have three things in Jesus Christ. The first thing we've already talked about is that we have a merciful God. You have God, your Father, ready to come in and help you in any moment, the moment that you call on him. The second thing that we have is that we also have, we see in the text, a living hope in Jesus Christ. See, this is what separates us from every other religion in the world, is that we don't worship a dead God, a statue, or a person who's now in the grave rotting away. But no, our Father overcame death, and now he sits at the right hand of God himself, interceding on our behalf. We have a living hope. That's what Peter's explaining to us. But not only that, we also are born again. In the original language, this word is anagoneo. It means to change the mind of one so that we may live our new life and we would conform to the will of God. The old is gone and the new is here. If there's parts of your past that you reflect on and you hate or you don't like or you're ashamed of or you feel wretched about, just know that because of Jesus Christ, we are born again in him and we can now live our lives as new creations him. We're no longer, because of these things that Peter's spelling out for us, are a paralyzed people on the verge of breaking. That was once us, but that's not us any longer. But we are now an empowered people through the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing I want you to do. That's the first thing I want you to know is to embrace his mercy and walk in his power. 
We learn we have God's mercy. We have a living hope through Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are born again. You read on in the text a little further, and it says, because of these things, we now live with a great expectation. Do we live with a great expectation? Do I live with a great expectation, knowing and believing? Do I really believe that God is still on the move in March of 2020? Do I really believe and have a great expectation that revival can come through our church and in this body of Christ? Do I really have a great expectation for myself that revival can come through me and that it can come through you also if we submit to God? Do I have this expectation or have I lowered my expectations because I've stopped looking at the truth of who I, who I am in him? I stopped reflecting on those three things that Peter said that we have in Jesus Christ. We ought to have great expectations and we should live with great expectations as well. It says in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that our God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. God wants us to dream bigger than our dreams and he wants us to give us his dreams. Don't you know that you are capable of so many great, great things for the glory of God and his kingdom because of what Jesus Christ has done and because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that God is our defender and it's not me on my own fighting any longer, but now through God's mercy, it's him using us and fighting through us and we're living with a great expectation. Reflect on what your challenge is right now. Reflect on what is persecuting right, you right now. Reflect on your fear. And then you need to realize all you have in Christ, Christian. And then when you realize these three things that Peter wants us to know, we can say confidently and look in the eyes of that thing and say, bring it on. I am now without fear. That's the second thing I want you to know is to walk in his power and live with great expectation. Let's jump down to verse six now. Peter writes, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Remember I said that Peter is a man he can't quit thinking about heaven. He can't quit talking about heaven. And his life is lived here, getting ready for heaven. He wants us to do the same because when we're doing that, we can actually rejoice in the middle of our trials because we're not putting our hope in these things. They can't let us down. I can rejoice through trials because my hope is in heaven. This word rejoice that Peter's talking about is a Galileo. And it occurs, this type of rejoicing, over 21 times in the New Testament. And it's this joy that's associated with suffering that's different, that's, that's not of this world. But in that, we have to understand, like, like, look at what's going on right now. I'm not rejoicing that people are sick. I'm not, right? I'm not rejoicing that people are dying. I have an, an extremely close family member who was laid off from work this week. Right? There are sincere financial concerns that are arising. And I'm not rejoicing for that. I'm not glad about that. And if I encounter anyone who's going through these things, I will mourn with them and I will do whatever I can to be Jesus with them, to, to, to comfort them. 
but what am I truly glad about in this time? I'm truly glad because I feel like my heart and my soul and my life is being brought back to a place where I'm going to live and seek out that which, is, that which matters most. My faith is being purified through all of this. I think that I certainly, I hope that out of all of this, I'm cutting the fat, the excess out of my life. I want to rejoice what I'm rejoicing in. What I'm being optimistic about is that I can rejoice in this reduction. This season that we are in, it is a season of reduction. The things we're used to, the things that we once did are being taken back and taken away. They're being removed, not by our own choice. It's out of our hands. I remember this story about uh, when I was 10 years old and I was really overweight in the season of my life. I would put my arms down and kind of would hate myself as I had these rolls on each side of my arm and I would tuck the rolls inside of my armpits, right? And be like, oh man, like if only I didn't have this excess fat and this excess weight, I wouldn't have to go swimming in the swimming pool with my shirt on. I remember I was thinking, you know what? I'm gonna invent an attachment that connects to my sink, that connects to my fat and it will suck the fat all out of me. And that way I won't have to cut out eating oatmeal, cream pies, double stuff. I can keep wasting away on my Sega Genesis. I won't have to start exercising and eating healthy. I can still keep living this unhealthy lifestyle that I'm living. And even after that, there was this pool party I was invited to, and there was this girl that I liked there. And I remember grabbing a big jug of water the night before this pool party and thought that if I did enough laps around my house, I could cut off all this excess weight and not be ashamed of myself at this pool party, right? I wanted to lose this weight quick and easy. I didn't want to live a lifestyle of healthiness. The sink liposuction idea that I had, it never got invented. The water jug sprinting burned about one pound of water weight. It turns out that 20 minutes of sprints around your house carrying jugs of water won't cut the fat. An easy, quick fix will never work. They do not exist. It's trials. It's hardship. It's these things that make us look back and say, man, what am I doing that I don't need any longer? See, these trials in your life, they're here now, and they, in fact, will never cease. But that's okay, I will rejoice in them because I'm becoming like Peter and it's making me think and ask myself, where, Jackson, have you placed your hope? This trial that we are in has forced me to step back and ask God, have I surrounded myself with things that don't truly matter? Is this meeting that I'm going to, is it really most beneficial? Is this event that we're planning, is it what we really need? God, is this really what you want? As I'm being socially distanced from people, I'm able to see, God, am I really investing to these people around me to further your glory and helping bring about their spiritual gift? God, is my schedule so hurried and I'm living my life so rushed that I don't have time when someone's stopping to talk to me to give them my full undivided attention? Am am I so hurried I'm not looking people in the eye, letting them know that they are valuable and that they are worthy of my time? I'm being forced to evaluate that and reconsider this thing. Is my schedule so hurried that I'm never spending time with the Father that frees and fulfills my soul? I felt anxious this past Saturday with all the uncertainty going on. When can we gather at church again? When will I know that my Nana is safe? Are the people that I love and care about going to get laid off? 
But when I went into God's word, this trial of anxiety that I was walking through, it did not paralyze me to where I didn't do anything, but it pushed me back into the promised land of God's word. And in turn, my anxiety was destroyed. My question for you is this. After we get through this, how will you readjust your life? Are you taking stock of your life? Are you evaluating your life in this time of reduction? And in the middle of this trial, can we truly say we're rejoicing? Or is our hearts that of complaining? I'm not saying don't mourn with the people you need to mourn with, with, because we ought to be doing that. But are we personally rejoicing and trusting and having joy in the Father in the midst of all of this? We might think, whoever actually rejoices in the middle of the trial? I think of a few of the disciples in Acts 5.41, when they were in the midst of persecution that they were walking through. It says that they were leaving the Sanhedrin, this place where they were being persecuted and even beaten, in fact. But it says as they were walking out of there, they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Man, that is a powerful joy. They had their eyes fixed on heaven, not the comforts of this life. Now, this test that we're going through, this trial, is only beneficial if we let God use it. Man, let God use this time. Give it to him. Go to him in this time. In verse 7, it shows that these trials will show that your faith is genuine. See, our faith is tested Not because God doesn't know what kind of faith you have. He's not like a a military drill instructor and has to ask himself, what what are my children made of? He knows what you're made of. But I think sometimes the Father will allow trials in your life so that you can discover what you're made of, so that you can discover you do have the Holy Spirit inside of you. God's word is powerful and it is effective and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. In trial, when we go to things God has already placed in our life, we know that I am an overcomer, I am a conqueror, and therefore my faith is in fact purified like gold. In times of tension, the true you comes out. Let the true you be in exile, a person that has not placed your hope in the things of this world. And that's the third and last thing that I'll close with, is rejoice in the trial, the waste is being removed. Dear God, I love you. And I pray for every student, every parent, and every leader that hears this message, God, that we would know that through this trial, our faith is being purified like gold, that we would know that we can walk in this immeasurably great power, knowing that we are a born again people, God, that we have your mercy and that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Bridge, please follow us on Instagram at wearethebridge. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.